music and all the songs as well. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. I've already been warned about my speed of my talking, I guess. <laughs> Some of you have already looked at me with bug eyes and let me know I'm talking fast. And so I got to get out of teenager mode as I was preaching uh, kind of this summer and whatnot. But a blessing to be able to be with you here at Eagle Heights. And let me just say um, very much as well, you know, our opportunity, uh, like I said, you were here earlier today um, during the Sunday School to let our family know. On behalf of our family, you might wonder what the behind the scenes look like, the scheduling, where you're staying, how you eating, and different things like that, just know A plus, man, A plus plus, all right? We have been royally taken care of. Our family is doing very well. We appreciate very much the opportunity to be able to be with you, and there are some that this is the first time when I said good morning, the first time you ever met, and so I think it only fair to say something like this. I, I know I might repeat it throughout this week as we go through the revival and different things, but you know, I can tell you my testimony and all these different things, but if somebody's going to be speaking to you for any length of time, I think it ought, it's only fair to tell you if they have a certain bias, if they have something about them that's going to affect everything they say. And so I wanted to know, you might not know me, you don't know my mama, you don't know my family, but let me tell you an obvious bias that I have. I believe the Bible. I believe everything the Bible says. I don't, I don't question it. I ain't sitting there trying to, if, if there's something about it, I don't get it because I just don't get it, <laughs> all right? It is the Bible is the word of God. And as I go throughout today, I have, you have full permission that if anything comes out of this mouth, by the grace of God, that does not line up with scripture, you have my full permission to go to your mind and flush it down the toilet of your mind, okay? Because it is not going to help you whatsoever. Uh, by the grace of God, whatever the Bible has to say as we will look this week, we hope to be a help to you. You know, um, this, this morning, you know, as we look, there's a lot of questions. In fact, even the, you know, Jesus is still the answer. I love that being your theme song because I believe the Bible has the answer to everything. And since it has the answer to everything, we will be looking at certain questions because honestly, ask my wife, I love questions and I ask a lot of them. In fact, some people after we visit, they think they were just in an interrogation for crying out loud because I really enjoy questions. And so with that being the case, I want to look at a question here this morning. I want you to take your Bibles, though, and we're going to do the book of the Revelation. The book of the Revelation, chapter number 3. And as you're turning to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 3, I, I really want us to look at the state of the Church of America. If God had to look and write a letter to us today, what would he say I believe this church that many of you who know a little bit about your Bible know probably the passage I am getting ready to read to you. However, I do want you to see the similarities that are here between us and the church that we're getting ready to read up. This church is the church of the Laodicea. It is located in the Lycus Valley as it was located there at its time. That place had three major roads that converged in that area. It was a great place of commerce and trade. Many people desired to be from there. It was a place of prestige. Not only that, it had resources, meaning they had money. They had, re they had wealth in that area for the most part. That city 
and that church that was in that city. And since that city would be a representation of the people that would be inside that church, then obviously they would have some of those characteristics inside of it. Well, this city, this church, the reason is so many times likened to the church in the United States of America is because we also are a church of wealth. You say, Adrian, I don't think I am wealthy. Travel with me across this world. We have blessings coming out of our ears. But however, it's hard to see because typically we sometimes prescribe blessings as how many more blessings do I have than my neighbor? And if that is your litmus test, then yes, you will feel that God has not necessarily given you blank and whatever it is you think you should have. However, God is blessed. We are a church of wealth. Not also that, but it was a prestige. People desired to be from Laodicea. I mean, I mean, there's still something to be said. I understand, you know, whatever country you're from, I know you love your country, and I am from the United States of America, and I thank God I am. And when I travel, it still means something to say that I am an American. I thank God for that. And just like this, it also was a place that, wow, to be from this area, I mean, there was already a certain status that went from it. Also, it was a land of resource. They had what they needed. I, I mean, my friend, I'm not, I mean, I just want to be clear. I am not want to be ugly when I say this, but my friend, if you and your home do not own a Bible, it's because you don't want one, man. I, I mean, you go to Dollar Tree and buy a Bible. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you don't have, it's not like we're over here sitting and thinking, I would love to have a copy of the Holy Scriptures, and I just can't lay my hands on them. I mean, we are, but we have resources just like these have here. But what's sad is this. God has nothing good to say about it. No little check marks of, wow, you're doing amazing in this area. A church that could have turned the world upside down. A church that had cultures from all over the world come and visit them. Six, ten miles north of that church was, I mean, that city was the premier medical institution that specialized in the eye. And people would come to train from all over the world. Their students would come and be in their area. We had so many cultures that were represented inside this city. And just like the United States of America, that is the case as well. If God had a letter to write to us, what would God say to our church right now is the question. Let's read. The book of the Revelation, chapter number 3, and verse number 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and, and neither cold nor hot, I, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant him, will I grant to sit with me in my, my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down 
with my fathers in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I will say a word about the revival probably this evening and as far as what to expect as we look at this week. However, this morning, I really want our full attention to be upon this passage. Uh, please don't think I'm being other when I say this, but this might be the only time I talk to some of you this entire week. And I really want this time that we have here together, that we look at God's word to understand if God wrote a letter right now to Eagle Heights, and I say this, you know, with all the love of my heart to understand clearly what God is saying in this passage. If he was writing a church to the church is a generalized sense of the United States of America, what would he say? I believe it'd be very much like this. Now, let's first look expositionally at this, and then I'll tell you the title of where we're going. All right, so this, in this passage, it says this very pointed illustration about, I know thy works, how they are cold or hot, nor hot, because I would that were cold or hot. Now, there are people, they're good people, that disagree as far as what the interpretation here, cold or hot. I am just going to do, like I said, I'm just going to be consistent as I walk through the scripture about what these words mean. There are people who believe different things, but they get to the same intersection at the end of the day. So understand, the illustration is the point that leads us to the rest of the passage, but the rest of the passage principles are the exact same. All right, so I would that were cold or hot. Sometimes I have heard people say, well, cold is useful, warm, uh, hot is useful, and lukewarm is not useful, so he kind of spewed the, I, I understand that. However, I can't divorce in my mind this matter of hot. The Greek word here is zestos. Zestos is the idea of fervency. It's the same word that's used in early in Romans, fervency. It's hard for me to divorce inside of my mind that hot has something to do with fervency or passion or doing something with energy and and in this context and energy for the Lord so we got hot then he has coal now obviously coal will be the direct direct opposite of hot so that would be not fervent someone who is not passionate as well now you say, Adrian, 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 I spilt my water there. Can I get a towel? I'm sorry, I spilt my water. <laughs> Leave it to the preacher, right? <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, as, as he was, um, oh, sorry, so we got hot and then you have cold. So when you have those two, you sometimes think, then Adrian, what are you saying? I know the rest of this passage. This passage says, I would rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold than I would be, than you would be somewhere in the middle. So, Adrian, are you saying that God would rather me be on fire for him, passionate and firm for him, or he'd rather me be over here doing nothing for him, kind of just kind of sitting down on the sidelines, than somewhere here in the middle? That's what the passage says. But he has a because. Now, don't ride that horse and think we have every conclusion to his arguments. It is a strong statement. Strong. But there's a reason why he made the statement. In verse 17, he answers why he says that. He says, because. Now look, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Okay, so you got to understand what the emphasis. I appreciate that, brother. As I appreciate the, the emphasis that is here is not the service. The emphasis here, as you look at it, is who is a person leaning upon. Here's the question: If I go to somebody who's on fire for God, 
And I asked them this. Hey, man. Hey, how are you doing? You're on fire for God. Hey, hey um, do, you, do you need God in your life? You know that person would say? They would stand there and be like, of course, Adrian, I need God. Of course. Every day of my life, I have to seek his faith. I couldn't imagine starting my day without his arm. I couldn't imagine going through my life and not needing God. Oh, Adrian, of course I need God. You know what's interesting? If you go to somebody who's not passionate, not fervent, fervent, and you ask them, hey, man, do you need God? You know what they say? You know I need God. I'm barely in church. <laughs> My family's a mess. <laughs> Things ain't working out. Oh, why, why are you even asking me? Of course I need God. But you know what's interesting? If you ask someone in the middle, hey, man, do you need God? I'm all right. I'm I'm good. I've been serving God for a long time. You know the insulting thing about the church of Laodicea? They did church without God. They had chairs, lights, Buildings, stuff, but no God. And and so the emphasis here is he says, you know what? Rather you be over here, over here, because at least these two extremes need me. These two extremes come and ask me and pray. But the ones that are suddenly just in the middle... They haven't touched their Bible in months. They come to church when they feel like it or this is the time. The church that didn't need God. Let's talk about it together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Bible. I pray for Eagle Heights. Pray for us corporately, individually. Pray for my family. I thank you for the, that you're such a gracious God. You have such patience with us. I pray, Lord, that this church would operate in the Spirit, under the Holy Spirit's power. I pray it wouldn't just be an organization that just moves and has a cross at the top of it. Lord, it would be a place to where, Lord, you are glorified and where, Lord, we need thee. Pray, Lord, that you just use this time that we have together. Well, I pray for ones inside this room, Lord, who are not even part of the body of Christ. They're not sure about heaven being their home. Well, I pray, Lord, that they, that as you knock upon their heart's door during this service, Lord, that they would be ready to respond and hear what you have to say. I pray, Lord, for every individual inside this room who is on their way to heaven, who is a child of God. Lord, there are so many who are even just members of this church, Lord, that they would be church on fire for thee. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to serve you. In Christ's name, so do pray it all. Amen. With, with that exposition of looking at the text as we march through, to understand this and getting to this intersection of Laodicea, I want you to see there's really only one, two ways to kind of split this passage up, for me at least, and that is, number one, the church's perception of themselves, and then God's perception of the church. The per- church's perception of the church, God, uh, the church's perception of themselves starts in 17a, which we just read. It says, they, 
it says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need and have need of nothing. They did not need God in their normal everyday life. To have God as a 911 service was totally sufficient. To have God as someone when my kids get married is totally sufficient. To have a little bit of God when it comes to get a little good word before I start a new job is totally sufficient. It came to the point that God really was not needed any longer. Because the very things that were given to them as blessings are the very things that were given to them that now are their distractions. They said, well, the lights are still on. Money's in the bank. Everybody's happy. No one's mad. Church must be working. And God said, I'm not even in the building. I'm not even a part of what you are doing. And you look and you see that the only option that is here for a church that has God in the center is a church that is on fire for God you can say there's two options my friend am I over here am on fire for him or am I over here and cold for him regardless there's a need that is in either one but if I put my little finger and say I think I'm somewhere here in the middle then understand what I'm saying I don't really need him that bad I mean I needed you back when I was sick but I'm good now I need you back when my wife said she's going to leave me. I needed you then, you know, but now we good. We good. Oh, I need you then when the kids, damn, man, they were messed up and they weren't going to come back home. And I need to preach. I need you then, God, but not, not so much now. But as you look at this, see, there's no experience. But unfortunately, the reality is, is that we have gotten used to cold or lukewarm living. Here, let me explain. Um, our family, we live in a fifth wheel trailer. There's no surprise to y'all. Y'all having the Westbergs and the Tozers and different things being part of your church in the past. So um, our family, we're based out of North Carolina. And uh, sometimes we would take it, sometimes we will, and different things. However, I remember one time we were inside of our trailer. And uh, the sink inside the main area there, I was taking it and I flipped it up too high. And I broke the sink. And so therefore, to turn the sink off, you should just push it up and then pull it down. But because I broke it, you had to like, you had to push it down to the right, to the left, up and down, your tongue out to the north, whatever it be. And then finally, the thing would shut off. It was just so aggravating. And so I remember that um, uh, I didn't fix it right away. Let me not to be ridiculous. I didn't fix it. <laughs> and uh, uh, <laughs> three is actually three, four months, six months, you know, whatever. And my wife and I got used to it. I mean, we knew how to do it. You know, it's kind of like you push it down and we knew how to wiggle it in place to turn the water off. And one time we came to a prophet's chamber that we were staying at. We were staying at the house there. And uh, usually I do everything fast. I, I talk fast. I walk fast. I eat fast. Do everything really quickly. And so I remember we were washing dishes and I like to set the pace on so the washer. She's the rinser. And so my wife and I were sitting there talking and we were involved in a, a great discussion. And I'm washing and, and I'm talking and I'm finishing up my washing and I'm turning off the water as I'm talking to my wife. And as I'm talking to her, I try to push it down and it's not working. I remember wrestling, like, what is wrong with this thing? I'm wrestling this sink here, this prophet's chamber. My wife looked and said, oh, that one works. That one works. All you got to do is just press it down. <laughs> you know? And I got to remember that. And, you know, I had gotten so used to something that was broken that when I saw something that was fixed, it was weird. Say it again. I got so used to something that was broken that when I saw something that was actually fixed, it was weird. To be on fire for God is weird, is it not? Sometimes it's 
Oh, wow. They're going to be here every day this week for revival? Are you serious? Wow, they're on fire. Now, we leave that to the young Christians. We leave that to the young Christians. Oh, he's going to take off his vacation time to take the teens to... You ain't... I'll tell you what, buddy. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes lukewarm Christianity is so normal that when somebody exhibits passion and fervency... We all take two steps back, take our shoes off, and think we just walked into the, the burning bush. And what happened? Where fervency is normal, where a drive for God doesn't happen out of guilt, it happens out of desire. It happens out of love. It comes out because this is just what I do. This is this is just who we are. But but now it's just a little strange. Now that's the first. The church's perception of themselves. However, God says, here is I, here's how I see it. In 17b. And knowest not. Now, here's what you don't know, God says. That thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, this is going to sound rough because the next 10 minutes of the message, you're going to think to yourself, great day. He's mad, <laughs> you know. But you got to understand what he's saying. I do not believe these are just haphazard words. These words that are used are very specific to this church. An entire series can be done about how he uses these words. I will only go through two, but I want you to know that he uses every single one of them very specifically. The first word he says is he says, first, it is wretched. Wretched has the idea to bear, to undergo, to, to be hardened, to be callous to. Many times we would even use the word apathetic toward this where it sees it comes to a point where I then can complain about God God's blessings, where I can come to a point where even where God's tools, how he's given me to serve him, become a curse unto me. I have a friend who's a missionary in, in South Korea, and his buddy had a friend in North Korea, and this was his story. He eventually made it to South Korea, North Korea very much close to the things of um, the gospel, and even illegal to own a copy of the scriptures. And so what they did is they found a way to infiltrate the schools. What they did is they went to the kindergarten classes and they said to kill the children. Children, we're going to make something very special for your parents. Bring the most special thing you have in your home and we will make something very special for your parents. But keep it a secret because it's only for your parents. Brandon's friend's little sister did not know any better. She went home. Their family were saved. We're Christians. And she grabbed the family Bible and put it inside of her bag and went to school, thinking she was making a surprise for her parents. They took the Bible, and after they took the Bible, by the time the girl and her brother got home, the, uh, the kids, were, the, the parents were strapped to a post, and they were tortured. And as they were there, the parents and were there, the children were out of school with their backpacks and different things, looking at their parents, and they saw that Bible tattered up and thrown in front of the father, and the father... The man told the man, though the father, if you want to see your children grow up, you will say this is not your Bible. And you will then recant Christ and you will see your children grow up. The father did not renounce Christ. They tried different methods to break him and his wife. Brandon, his friend, and her, Brandon's friend and his little sister, before they came to South Korea, the last scene they have in their mind is their parents thrown into a road and a steamroller coming and crushing the both of them. Now, let's just imagine that God has two eyes. 
In one eye, he sees that. That didn't happen long ago. Brandon's my age. God sees that in North Korea. In his other eye, he sees a dad get ready for work. Oh, I guess I should read something in this book. Oh, that one's too long. Let me find something shorter. All right, good. Now I can go up. Because that's wretched. He says, even my blessings are a curse. Even when I give you something. People don't have my word. Oh, people don't have the scripture and just pick it up and read it. Most people don't just go to a bookstore, pick up one, pick up two, pick up three, pick one for mama, pick one for grandma. Most people don't have that. And he says, I even give you, Laodicea, I give you stuff. And to then take it and say and complain about it is wretched. He continues, very select words in this passage. Wretched. He continues, he says the word is miserable. It means I pity you. There's a lot to be said there. I don't really want to focus on that. But he's just basically, it's like, I'm watching you invest so much into something you're going to leave behind. He says also, but poor. This is where I want to, the second word I want to talk about. But poor. See, in this context, look who you're talking about. These are successful people. These are the ones who made it. These are the ones who got a good education. These are the ones working, doing stuff. Now, you can call me underhanded you can call me crazy but don't you call me poor (laughs) you know what I'm saying think of the irony of it you call us poor I mean we have out of all the churches we are look have you seen my house have you seen what I drive you don't call us poor see it's interesting because this word that is used is not only that but the word is used to be you're beggars you are beggarly See, the word picture is this. A.T. Robson points this out, which is really neat. Is the word picture is you have a table. And as you have this table, this man comes to the table and he's hungry. And he's like, oh, I need a meal. I need a meal. And if he walks to the table, he looks out and he sees bread crumbs all over the table. And the rule is this. You can only eat one bread crumb at a time. Okay, so he comes <laughs> and he starts eating. And as he's trying to eat, he's trying to, here's the word, fill your belly with crumbs. He's like, here you go. Here you go. How you doing? Oh, I'm busy now. I'm busy. I got me some land over here I'm working on. I got me some stuff over here I'm working on. Oh, I'm busy now. Oh, I got time for God. Not too much now because I'm busy. I'm going. I'm working. He says, I'm watching you. You're trying to take crumbs and be filled. You're trying to take these things of the world to fill a God-shaped hole. Because you're poor. It's a bunch of beggars. This is rough stuff that he's saying to the church. Now, the thing with every question is this. Is you got to be ready to hear the answer. The answer is not as fluffy as what we might think. Oh, we think of the church. Oh, he's just happy. He has a couple little things he wants to talk about. But he's just so happy and joyful. No, 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 no. He's saying, these things are wretched. Miserable. Poor. He says also blind, spiritual blindness. And then he says naked. And the reason naked is so very much offensive is because it's the irony. It's a humorous thing, but irony of you're 
you're a child, you're a child of the king, but you're clothed in rags. You, you should be wearing kingly garments. You have nothing. You know, as you see this, you think, wow, God must be pretty upset, and God loves you, but God does punish sin. And then he continues to go, then he says in verse 18, I counsel thee, I'm trying to help you, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. You need some clothing, white raiment, and thou shalt be clothed, mayest be clothed, the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And he says, look, and anoint thine eyes with eye sap that thou mayest see. He was like, you got the premier medical institution once you drive up down the road and to that 10 miles and find that medical institute. And as you go to that medical institute, look at your own eyes and see, because you can't see. He uses play on words to talk, but then in verse 19, he reinstates his love. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He says, be zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, that same passion you're using for those things that you care about so much, use all those energies and repent. He says this, behold, I stand the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I understand the two aspects of the application of this verse. I'll talk about one, then I'll talk about the other. I understand the clarity of this passage about people saying that Christ is knocking upon somebody's heart door in salvation. Meaning that God is extending an arm or a hand to say, you're not sure of heaven or I can give you the gift of eternal life. You know, maybe here today, you know, there are things in your life you can get by with being fuzzy about. I don't know if you know that word fuzzy. You use it in North Carolina a lot, but fuzzy means you don't understand it fully. You know, if you talk to me about science things, I'm kind of fuzzy, okay? I know the science teacher in the house might shoot me, but, you know, fuzzy about certain things means I don't understand it all. Maybe there's somebody who is fuzzy about those things. Look, you can go through your life and be fuzzy about math and science, but, honey, we cannot be fuzzy about our eternal destination of what happens after we die. We can't be fuzzy about what Jesus Christ has done for us. He wasn't just some good person. My friend, he was God. And when God came down to this earth, somehow wrapped up in human flesh, blows my mind, blow your too as well. As he came down and walked on this earth, committing sin, none, because he is almighty God. And on the dying on that cross between that sixth and ninth hour, as he hung there upon that cross, and he took the wrath of God for the sin of all mankind. I'm not using this word as a cuss word, but hear me out. Is that on that time, he took my hell as he was on that cross. He took my place where I, who had done wrong, he stood in front of me and took that punishment and said this, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. He says this, you want to know the most amazing trade that can be taken? I'll take your faith and I'll give you righteousness. You believe on me without question, with no plan B. He says, I will knock upon your, knocking upon your heart's door. And if you accept my gift of salvation, I will give you righteousness. You say, what that fancy word mean? <laughs> that nothing of my own, I thought when I stand before God, he will not see sinful Adrian. That rotten Adrian, the things I said so bad, the things I did so bad, the times I treated my wife I shouldn't have the way to treat her, the way I said words I shouldn't have said. See, all that's gone. Right, Righteousness. And I can go to heaven.
Can't be fuzzy about that, man. But he says, I just stand at the door and knock. He wants you to accept him. For those who are Christians in this room, you guys understand this passage, that he's talking to the church. He's to the church. So what he's saying is this, is he's knocking upon the door of the church. Yeah. If you were here during Sunday school, I'm, I mean, this is just a story. The reason it just comes up and that's, as I was going through this, as far as the message and stuff, but I remember... Um, I, I alluded to it, but however, this is just the full extent story. I was, I was going to a church, the, pastor, the youth pastor called me um, and said, hey, hey, Brother Adrian, we're going to have you at church. I said, great. It was about a week or two out. And actually, about a week or so out. Then the youth pastor called me back and said, Adrian, I'm so sorry. We had to cancel the meeting. And cancellations happened. And I was like, you know, whatever. But the reason for the cancellation is because the pastor, I guess, Googled me and found out that he didn't like my skin color. <laughs> and so he called me and said, no, we're going to cancel this meeting. There's no way. There's no way I'm having a black guy come to my preach at my church. I remember as I was there and I was like quoting all these verses to myself, like the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God and let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the acceptable of my sight, you know, and <laughs> quoting all these verses to myself so I don't let Adrian come out, but the Holy Spirit <laughs> come out of me. I remember after I finished up that phone call, you know, I was like, man, that's messed up and that's crazy. You know, you know, you know, you understand that people are people. And when you realize men are men and God is God, that's going to change a lot for you. But I mean, men are men. And I remember as I was, you know, got off that phone call and different things. I said, you know, it's more messed up than that, though. Is Jesus is knocking at the door of his church. He's not even in there. You know what happens many times is. Everybody talking about, you know, oh, he's the center of our worship and center of our praise. And somebody says, hey, bring that screen down because we're getting ready to praise him. Let's get ready. Let's get ready to sing his name. Let's get ready to just praise Jesus. And he's not even in the building. He says, just knocking. And he says, look, read the verse carefully. Read the verse carefully. Behold, I say that or not. If any man hear my voice. Do you know that implies it's loud in there? And he says, if somebody just hush long enough to realize I'm not even there. I'm not even in the middle of you. You're talking about me. You've got a little cross. You're talking some little water and some baptism and different things. But I'm not there. See, you know what's so interesting about revival? You know, it's a revival busy week. Absolutely. There's no way around it, you know. Sudden comes in your week. In the middle of it, come out to work, maybe grab a bite to eat, maybe not. It's a busy week. But you know what it allows us to do? Hush. Hush. God, are you even here? Are you even here? Sometimes it's easy to be like, ah, in the midst of everything and everything going, but no, look at our ministries. Look at our ministries. Look at what we're doing. Look at what we're saying. You see, the church of Laodicea probably had everything and more. But he wasn't there. The Bible said the door, my, amen, hear my voice. I will open the door. I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. What he says clear in this passage is he looks, I long to fellowship with you. I long to have a relationship with you. It is my desire that my church would come to me with love and compassion and see the equal and see it reciprocated. He wants fellowship with his church. But it's easy to do it without him because of what we have. In closing, 
would, I, would my wife say, I'm on fire for God? Husband. Would your kids say, oh yeah, my, my papa, my papa's on fire for God. My dad, he's on fire for God. I just wonder what they say. I, well, it's not like he's on fire. Oh, but he, he's definitely not over here. It's not like he's cold. I mean, I mean, he does a little something. It's not like he's here. I would just probably put him somewhere in the middle. What am I saying? There's no option. Eagle Heights must be on fire for God. It's kind of sad. But American commitment is almost laughable. What I mean by that is sometimes we talk on the news, but whether agent, what's going to happen to our religious liberties? What's going to happen when an ISIS comes and comes to the doors and kicks down the doors and say, what's going to happen if you renounce Christ and what are you going to do? And, and, and all these things, I'm not belittling any of these aspects. I'm not belittling any of these things. But my friend, the United States of America and the Church of Laodicea, it does not take violence for us to renounce Christ. It just takes a football game on Sunday for us to renounce Christ. It just takes a boat. It takes a truck. It takes overtime for crying out loud. It doesn't take heads rolling. It doesn't take violence at the doors. Doesn't have to be, to be oh, I, I am now going to be persecuted for my liberties. It just takes pleasure. It just takes the fact that your kid can win a little medal this Tuesday. It doesn't take all what we think. And sadly enough, if it weren't so sad, it'd be funny. But the fact of the matter is, it's actually laughable. What commitment stands. I qualify everything I say, and I said at the end, I meant what I said about flesh on the toilet, if this is, if this is something that is not Bible. I am telling you, this is just my opinion, and I'm done, okay? And I'm, I'm just saying, this is just an observation. Just made an observation. I'll be honest with you to say this is not coming from this verse, just an observation. Um, for the past 16 years, every summer, I've given my life to teenagers and to kids. Every week in my life, I have no idea how many teen rallies and different things I've preached, preached at or whatever it be. I enjoy kids and teens. And that means the time, I'll tell you something I've noticed. I notice at first, this is going to seem like no big type of observation. And this is even, even controversial, but follow me. I see godly parents have two types of kids. I see godly parents have kids that love God, follow God, on fire fervent for God. I have also seen godly parents have children that are not walking in the way they should. I understand the verse, train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I understand that verse clearly, and right now in their life, they're not walking in those principles, okay? Number two, I see ungodly parents, parents who are not saved, have two types of kids. I see them have, they don't even go to church, and have nothing to do with God. Some those kids say, you know what, I want better, and they serve God, they get saved, they let God do something in their life, and they become a disciple of Christ. I see on the other side, there are some parents who have, uh, well, they'll have their children and they'll do the same thing their parents did. They'll continue on the same path, continue on the same cycle of sin and different things. Say, Agent, that's not big observation. Listen to my last just observation. Lukewarm parents always have lukewarm kids at best. <laughs> 
me break it down. Sunday morning only parents always have Sunday morning only kids. Why? It's just enough God, man. It's just enough God that you're not like them. Not like them now. Now, honey, we might not be all on board the God thing, but we ain't like dumb folks. It's just enough to be like, well, mommy and daddy surely weren't over here. They lived right here, and they got themselves a nice house. They got themselves a nice car. And they got a nice job. I know it's easy to shoot the millennials. But someone had to raise us. Someone had to raise me. Lukewarm Christianity results in a generational backsliding of doing nothing for God. God had a letter and he wrote it to our church. What would he say? I really think it would be very similar to what he wrote to the church of Laodicea. Can we pray together as we close? As we pray, just so 